Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, for those of you who've been with us, you know that we are journeying with Jesus to the cross, and we're exploring the theme of the kingdom of God all year. But very specifically, this morning's message will take a look at Jesus' journey to the cross and three different interactions that he has with people. Now, before we get to that, how many of you like March Madness? How many of you could care less? If you could care less, I want you to pray for a team by the name of St. Peter's, because how could they not be the best team left in the tournament with that name? By the way, for those of you who don't know, that's my name. I'm not a saint, but the name is Peter, so I encourage you to pray for them. Now, um, I happen to be a person that loves college sports. Any college sport that's available, I'll go and watch. I just always have loved it. And sort of as a way of setting up what we're going to be looking at this morning biblically, I wanted to reference an interaction, uh, interaction that I had with a friend of mine, and his name was Gene. Gene has now passed away. He was in senior of years when I met him, but uh, we became somewhat friends. And Gene, uh, interestingly enough, was a coach, was involved with UBA, and actually ran the NCAA for many years. He was the president of the NCAA. But he told me a story that's kind of going to be the setup for how we're going to look at these stories this morning. And the story was interesting in that his son is a D1 lacrosse coach, has been for years. His son had just started his career as a coach, and it wasn't going well at all. It It was actually going terribly. And then one day, his son got a phone call from Coach K from Duke University, the basketball coach, the coach that's just retiring And um, he reached out to Gene's son. And basically what he said to him was, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get on a flight, and you're going to come to Duke, and you're going to shadow me for two weeks. Wherever I go, you go. Whatever I do, you do. And I think it was two weeks' time. And so this guy who was coaching kind of took a quick hiatus, and he got on a plane, and he shadowed Coach K. Interesting thing is it transformed his life. It radically transformed how he coached and who he was personally as a coach. And the thing about that is, is that Coach K could have sent him an email or a letter, and it could have just had six bullet points. Here's what you do to be a good coach. Here's the teaching. But Coach K knows, and the Bible knows, that that's not how we learn best. The best way we learn as people is to be with someone, to be with them. Jesus' teachings matter tremendously. But we can never separate Jesus' teachings from being with him. And the Gospels are written in such a way as to call us to be a group of people who put ourselves emotionally and spiritually into the stories, and we envision ourselves as being with Jesus in the midst of the episodes of his life, and therein our lives are transformed The reality of it is, is that if we believe being a Christian means that we sit and learn, we've missed the point. 
It is also about following Jesus and being with him. Now, with that said, we're going to look at three chronological stories of Jesus as we begin in Matthew chapter 17. We're going to end up in Matthew 19, but we're going to look at three episodes of the life of Jesus. Now, prior to looking at those three episodes, there's one fundamental and foundational interaction Jesus has with just his disciples, not with anyone else. And in essence, what we discover there is extremely important to understand the kingdom of God. Now, getting ready to look at this foundational reality, but just know that the gospel tells us prior to this little interaction with Jesus and his disciples, he has just told them for the second time he's going to Jerusalem and die. Matthew clearly states this, and again, we're on this journey with Jesus to the cross. So let's begin by looking at Matthew 18, 1 through 5, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, as we get ready to read, just simply know this. In the gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of God is called the kingdom of heaven. It's the exact same thing. Matthew uses kingdom of heaven. Luke and the other gospel writers use the kingdom of God. They're synonyms for each other. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Let's go ahead and read. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? How many of you would have the nerve to ask that question? These guys do. They're safely assuming Jesus is going to pick one of the 12. Reading on. He doesn't point at anyone. He does something drastically different. He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. Picture that scene. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now again, this interaction, this foundational reality for the next three interactions Jesus has begins with the disciples asking the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus picks a child. He picks a child. How can a child show any form of greatness at all? Because you see, greatness in Jesus' world and, his, and in ours, greatness is something that's proven, and it already shows success. But a child is unproven and unaccomplished. And yet here Jesus announces that this child is the greatest in the kingdom, and anyone who wants to be great must become like this little child. This is a clear declaration that in the kingdom of God and in the eyes of Jesus, greatness is not measurable by the standards of culture. That the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It is shockingly different than the kingdoms of this world. But what is Jesus trusting or teaching here? Jesus pulls in this little child, and here's what he wants us to understand. That when you come to children, there's teachability. There's trust. There's openness to new ideas and new ways of seeing life and the world around them. And Jesus says, greatness in the kingdom 
is for people who lower themselves. In other words, step down and become like this. A people that becomes teachable. A people that are trusting. A people that are willing to follow. What I do know is, this is difficult for us to learn. It's difficult for us to live. And yet Jesus is crystal clear that in his kingdom, this is where greatness is found. Now to the three episodes, very quickly, of Jesus interacting with three different sets of people. Now we move from Matthew 18 to Matthew 19. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15, the little children are brought to Jesus. The text says, then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now to continue the theme of March Madness, this is a picture of Pete Carroll. Pete was the basketball coach at Princeton University when I was a chaplain there. Pete was a very unique guy. He was famous for having a defense that was brutal to play against. I remember being there. He used to invite top-tier teams to come and play Princeton, and no one wanted to come. What's interesting to note is that he coached for 29 seasons. He had 11 NCAA tournament berths. In 1969, Princeton lost by one point to UCLA when John Wooden was the coach. But he inevitably got his redemption while I was there. On March 14th in 1996, Princeton beat UCLA in the first round of the NCAA tournament, 43-41. to No one could believe it. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning Pete is because of the idea of blessing. Because my wife, Fran, and I, when my son was just a toddler, he's 28 years old now, we were in a restaurant in Princeton. We were holding our son. He's just a tiny little guy. And there we are, kind of in the foyer of this restaurant. It was very crammed, and Pete Carroll was in front of us, so I kind of tapped him on the shoulder, kind of introduced myself, and said, hey, you know, and was talking a little bit. And he did the oddest thing. And looking at us, he asked us, do you mind if I bless your son? Uh, well, hmm, why not? And so he did this, literally in the foyer of the restaurant. He reached out his hand, and he put it on my son's head, and he just prayed. He said, God, bless this child. I will never forget it because it was so weird, <laughs> but it was so powerful. It was so, I, it's hard to explain the emotion of a parent when someone wants to bless your child. I mean, think about that. Never forgot that. I don't know what else Pete was praying in his mind, but it must not have been that my son would be blessed with athletic prowess because my son never watches anything in the NCAA. He hates sports. He doesn't understand sports. But I want you to notice something, that when these parents are trying to bring their children to Jesus, the disciples rebuke them. 
That's stunning. Because in chapter 18, we learn Jesus had just taught them that the kingdom of God belongs to little kids. And if you welcome one, he literally said, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And his disciples didn't get it. And they're rebuking the parents who are trying to bring their children just so Jesus can lay his hands on them. And I believe that what this teaches us is that understanding how the kingdom of God works is difficult, it's challenging, and it takes time. Here are Jesus' disciples who've just walked with him through the idea of this child, and they missed it. They didn't get it, so they rebuked the parents. And then the text tells us that immediately, immediately upon them rebuking the parents with the children and Jesus blessing them, we have the story of the rich man in the kingdom of God. It literally says, just then a man came up to Jesus. Here's what I love about the Gospels. The Gospel will show you one thing and then show you the exact opposite. Children being brought to Jesus And now there's a rich young man, and the Gospel of Matthew is going to teach us some things about the kingdom. How does it work? How are we to view it? Well, let's read the famous story of the rich man and Jesus. Here's what the text says. Just then, so right on the heels of these little children, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. And Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it is hard for anyone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle Then for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man that is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Can you feel the contrast between the rich man and the children? The little children are unproven, unaccomplished, untested. And yet now you've got a rich man who's proven he's successful and he is accomplished. What fascinates me, though, is what Jesus says to him in speaking to him about the Ten Commandments. The text says, Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. I want you to think about the last five of the Ten Commandments. 
Jesus only asks him about four. He misses one. Who in the sanctuary knows which one Jesus does not ask him about? Do not what? Covet. Jesus never presents him that law. Do you want to know why? He doesn't covet anyone else's life. He has the life everyone else covets. And so Jesus never asks him that. This guy's life is together, he's successful, he's following the commandments, and he's wealthy, which in Jewish theology means God is with him and God is blessing him. So Jesus never asks him about covetousness. But what he does say to him is, honor your father, your mother. You see, conservative, biblically-centered rabbis teach us this. That the Ten Commandments, one, two, three, four, five, are a parallelism between six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. They actually link together. So commandment number one links to commandment number six, and commandment number five links to commandment number ten. Commandment number five is honor your father and your mother, and commandment ten is do not covet the one that Jesus looked over. But here's what the rabbis teach. The rabbis teach that there are many who do not honor their parents because they despise their station in life that their parents gave them. And so because they covet the life of others, they look at their parents and go, I don't have the station in life I wanted. And because of covetousness, they cease to honor their father in their mother. The rabbis teach these two go together, honoring mom and dad and covetousness are connected. What a profound thought. But here we have a guy who is living the life that everyone covets. And in this story, we have two emotional responses. First of all, the text says, the rich man went away sorrowful because he was wealthy. You see, he was successful and proven, but he was not childlike, he wasn't trusting, and he wasn't open to things that needed to happen in his life. But here's what I want to tell you. There are those people who have, who have great wealth and great success who have found incredible comfort in this story. Because we live in a world that demands success, and it demands wealth, and it demands power. What a relief it is to step into a kingdom where that doesn't matter. What a relief it is to step into a world and into a kingdom where you are loved for who you are, not because of what you have or what you've accomplished. Many of us may see this as a struggle to understand and to incorporate into your life as you follow Jesus, but just know it's actually good news. It's incredible news. And then the text says, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? You see, in Jewish theology, if you're rich, you're in. If you're poor, you're out. And somehow Jesus is beginning to flip this upside-down kingdom, and he's teaching us 
that how we judge the greatness in this world does not work in the kingdom of God. And then the final episode, and then we'll close. Jesus, in the next chapter, runs into two blind men. I want to read one. Sim- I want to read this story and then mention one thing. Two blind men received their sight. Now I want us again to travel with Jesus. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, Lord? They answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. In closing, how do we put feet to our faith with what we've learned this morning? First of all, they shouted, Son of David. Son of David meant that the blind men see Jesus as the fulfillment of the promises of God to King David that one of his descendants would sit on his throne and rule and reign forever. The reality of it is the blind men can see Jesus for he truly is while those with sight cannot. And one of the things that we learn in the kingdom of God, and this should actually encourage us and excite us, and that is as followers of Jesus, we come to understand that our apparent deficiencies and defeats, I want you to hear this. As followers of Jesus, we come to understand that our apparent deficiencies and defeats are the fertile soil of growth in the kingdom of God. In the world, failure's final. But in the kingdom of God, it's fertile soil for growth in the kingdom. The truth of it is, worldly success and achievements aren't bad, but they can blind us to how the kingdom of God works in reality. One final thing I want you to take note of is that in our three episodes, the parents with the little children were rebuked. The blind men were rebuked. But the rich young ruler was invited to directly address Jesus. What it clearly tells us is that the disciples don't understand the kingdom. They think that the kingdom is built upon rich, young, smart, powerful, well-positioned people. But we live in an upside-down kingdom. The kingdom of God is built on people who everyone thinks are out or deficient or broken. Please know that the kingdom of God is a kingdom that welcomes all. It's a kingdom of shalom, a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom where you can lay down the battles for your soul and come in and find peace. But you see, Jesus' disciples thought he would be a political leader, that he was going to reform the politic, and that's what they were looking for. What you don't want, if that's your vision for Jesus, are people who are blind and parents with little kids. What you want are rich young rulers. That's why they never rebuked him. But please get the peace of God's kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom of blessing. In closing, 
I want to challenge us that we do this with Jesus. The picture on the screen is a picture of Kevin Corrigan. Kevin is in his 34th season as the lacrosse coach at Notre Dame. The 311 that's across this picture is when he has now become the most winning lacrosse coach ever in the history of D1 lacrosse. All of this looks back to a phone call from Coach K at Duke, where K, Coach K called him and invited him to be with him, not to learn some bullet points, to, but to be with him. I want to encourage you. Jesus calls you to be with him, to follow him, to discover what greatness in the kingdom of God is like. It's the opposite of the world, and thank God for it.